right. Well, we are continuing our series while you're waiting. Uh, and we've titled it that. Uh, later on in the book of Titus, we'll actually get to the phrase where that comes from. But it's what do we do while we are here on earth waiting. Uh, it's kind of a uh, time where we are waiting for either Jesus to return or uh, where our life on this earth will end and we'll go to be with him. But what do we do during that time while we're waiting? So that's what we're talking about in Titus. This morning, I want to talk about um, kids for a minute. There's a lot of things that adults say to kids that, um, that we stop saying after they get older. We, we say them to kids, but after people get older, we stop saying them. Uh, it's a couple that came to my mind uh, were things like, uh, don't stick that pee up your nose, um, or don't stick that marble up your nose, that macaroni up your nose. Just don't stick anything up your nose uh, is a good rule. We say this to kids. We know I don't say this to adults a lot. Most adults are good on that. Um, things we say to kids that we don't have to say to adults. Yes, you have to wear pants. And no, you can't have candy for dinner. Maybe sometimes you have to say those things to adults. Good rules for adults too. But there's things we say to kids that uh, we don't say to adults. And then there's things that I think we teach children that really are good lessons that we should all keep in mind throughout our entire life. Uh, A man named Robert Fulgham composed a poem a while back uh, based on this idea of some of the things we teach kids really would be good for all of us to keep in mind. His poem was called, All, uh, All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. And he had some great things in there, things like share everything, play fair, don't hit people, put things back where you found them, clean up your own mess. That would be some good advice for some countries in the world. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. Wash your hands before you eat. Flush. Warm cookies and cold milk are good for you. Live a balanced life. Learn some and think some and draw and paint and sing and dance and play and work every day some. Take a nap every afternoon. When you go out into the world, watch out for traffic. Hold hands and stick together. Be aware of wonder. Things that we would say to maybe a kindergartner that are not bad for all of us to kind of keep in mind even as we get older. Good lessons for life. There's another statement that adults often say to children that not only is something I believe needs to continue into adulthood, but it's the focus of our passage and message today. And if you're a parent, maybe you've said this to a child, or if you're a child, or when you were a child, maybe you heard this from a parent, and the phrase is, act your age. Act your age. Perhaps you've heard this or said this, But I think we not only need to say this to children, it's something I think we, those of us as adults, also need to hear at times. A recent book by Senator Ben Sass brings attention to this issue in our American culture. The book is titled The Vanishing American Adults. And in it, Senator Sass highlights and mourns the delay and even loss of adulthood in today's American culture. He says, this is what he says, quote, we are living in an America of perpetual adolescence. 
Our kids simply don't know what an adult is or how to become one. Many don't see a reason even to try. Perhaps more problematic, the older generations have forgotten that we need to plan to teach them. It's our fault more than it is theirs. The vanishing American adult. Some 2,000 years after the Apostle Paul lived, Senator Sass is highlighting the same problem that Paul addressed to his protege, Titus. That being the temptation to not act in accordance with your age and stage in life. As much as we might want to think everyone is the same and anyone can do anything, there are certain roles that people have at certain ages and certain stages in their life. Certain roles that each generation must play. You know, it's funny, when you look at your own generation, every generation seems to often have a problem with the one that came before it and the one that's coming behind it. And no matter what age you are, oftentimes you look at the generation behind you and you say, why are these kids the way they are? Why are they so, we weren't like that. Why are they so lazy? And every generation says that often about the generation behind them. And then often the generation in front of them, oh, they're so out of touch. They don't understand. They don't know what's going on. And we often have these conflicts between the older and the younger. But there is an important role that everyone needs to play, no matter what age and stage you are in your life. And let's look at Titus chapter 2, where Paul talks about that. I'm going to read that for you. Uh, Titus chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. Uh, This week, we are in verses 1 through 8. We're going to handle this passage in two parts. This week will be part 1, verses 1 through 8. And next week, we're going to look at verses 9 and 10 and take some time to look at those on their own. Titus chapter 2, verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. In this passage, there are four different groups of people that Paul mentions that we're looking at this morning in verses 1 through 8. Older men, younger men, older women, and younger women. I will let you decide which category you are in, whether you are the older or the younger. 
uh, on which one you would place yourself, but each has different responsibilities. This morning, I want us to briefly look at the principles that Paul lays out for each age and stage of life, the purpose for that, and then finally, the posture that's necessary in order to maintain and for this to happen. Because he gives principles to each of these groups. And the first group he gives principles to is older men. Older men is the first group he gives principles to. So I'll take a few minutes and talk to the older men. Maybe you're not sure if you're an older man. Read uh, some things from Pastor Greg Lowry, who kind of gives a test on how you can tell if you're older or not, or you're getting older. He says, you know you're getting old when your mind makes commitments your body cannot keep. You know you're getting old when everything hurts, and what doesn't hurt doesn't work. You know you're getting old when you sink your teeth into a big juicy steak. And they stay there. (laughs) You know you're getting old when you dim the lights for economic reasons, not romantic ones. (laughs) You know you're getting old when you've owned clothes for so long they've come back into style twice. (laughs) I feel like I'm moving into this category because I couldn't believe ripped jeans came back. The first time I saw someone a couple years ago at ripped jeans, I'm like, that must be a mistake. Those are not coming back, but they're back. They were in style once before, guys. Um, you know you're getting old when you sing along to elevator music. You know you're getting old when you quit trying to hold in your stomach no matter who walks into the room. <laughs> so maybe that helps you figure out which category you're in. But older men is the first one that... Paul gives some principles for, and the principles he gives is this. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love, and in steadfastness. I think every man, older or younger, would do well to put that someplace where you see it on a regular basis. A, prov- a Titus 2, a Titus 2, 2 man is your goal. Sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love, and instead, fastness. This is what, we're not going to go into every one of these individually. We don't have time to do that, but just you get the overall picture of what Paul is talking about. Remember, he's writing to Titus, who was in Crete. Crete was described as a place full of gluttons, full of liars, full of evil beasts, self-described that way by their own prophets. And so Paul is saying, look, call these people out of their culture that they are in and call them to, especially the older men, to live in this way. If you think about it, back in your life, there's probably a man or two that you can think of that maybe exhibited these qualities. I can think of some in my life that I can think of uh, that have done this certainly in this church. There have been many. I think about, in a couple weeks, I'm going to be heading down to uh, the family reunion with Wendy's family. We'll be heading down to that. And, And Wendy comes from a big ministry family, and she has uncles and grandparents and great-grandparents, I suppose, that, that served in ministry. And so I'll sit around with these men who have uh, served in ministry for many years and listen to their stories. These older men, uh, Doyle and Wes Kelly. Doyle, who for 50 years pastored a church and, and listened to the faithfulness of God. That only comes through being in a place for a long enough time and living a life in such a way that you gain understanding and wisdom 
We're sitting and listening to Wes Kelly, who in his later years left a successful and profitable construction company, left it behind, sold it so he could become a missionary to build churches and houses in Mexico. And listening to God's faithfulness to them, it can't be rushed, it can't be systematized, it's not something that happens in a class, it's something that happens when you're sitting around and make time to listen to those who have walked in their faith. What's your goal as you grow older, young man? What are you aiming for? What are you aiming for? This is what Paul says we should be aiming for. These are men who are level-headed. They're clear on their priorities. They're wise in their decision-making. They're men who live lives worthy of respect. The way they carry themselves and the words that they speak are not foolish or frivolous. They have patience that has developed over the years. They're strong in resolve and sound in their faith. And this is what we aim for. Now, you might be an older man and you say, I'm not there and none of us may be there perfectly, but this is what we're aiming for. You've got to have something to shoot for. You've got to have something to know. Because if you don't, you're just going to go for whatever the world around you tells you you're supposed to be like. One author um, put it this way. He said, we need to cheer on when men exhibit qualities like this. He says, if no one cheers for nobility, men are going to collapse back into a dumbed-down masculinity that follows the cheers of the world, obsessive careerism, selfish pursuits, and ignoble deeds. We need to cheer men on for the right things. Men get cheered on all the time for accolades, pursuits on an athletic field, or maybe in a business office. But how often do we celebrate and cheer on men who have lived godly lives of integrity and faithfulness before God? Celebrate those things when you see them in others. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. That's an older man. An old man, an older man is there to share wisdom with the younger men. Older women. Older women is the next category. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good and so train the younger women. Live under self-control. Living under control, controlling her tongue and her appetites. These verses talk about. I don't know what was going on entirely with the women of Crete at the time, but apparently there were people who were having trouble controlling their speech and their appetite for wine and for alcohol, and Paul speaks into that and says the women in your church ought not to be this way. They ought to have control over the words that they speak out of their mouth, and they ought to have control over their appetites so that they are not governing and have control over them so that they can live lives that are worthy of respect, which is the reverent in behavior. And then these older women are not only to live these lives of reverence, they also have a responsibility to train the young women. And so that brings us to the next principle of young women. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, 
that the word of God may not be reviled. All right, let's leave that at that and just move on. Um, nothing controversial in there. Older women and younger women, this is kind of combined because what the older women is supposed to teach the younger women, um, it's understood that they would also be living these things out in their own life. And so they're supposed to teach and train up the younger women. And it's interesting, the, Paul tells Titus, the older women are to teach the younger women because the older men wouldn't be the ones to teach the younger women and Titus wouldn't be the one to teach the younger woman. It takes an older woman to teach the younger woman. And, to, and so Paul says, Titus, have the older women teach the younger women how they are to live their lives. And so train them to love their husbands and children. Why would you have to do this? Why would you have to give this instruction? Oh, perhaps a marriage falls on some hard times and so you need to train someone to love in the midst of difficult times. But why, why a child? I mean, those of you that have children, perhaps you remember that moment. I remember it well hospital room in Lowell when that, our first child was born and holding him in our arms. No one had to tell me to love him in that moment. In fact, in that moment, overcome by such a love that immediately my priorities and my perspective, I felt like changed in that moment. No one had to tell me to love them. So why must older women train the younger women to love their husbands and children? Because love their husbands and children in line with God's word and the way that God would have us to love sometimes looks differently than the love we might automatically or naturally feel or not feel or the love that the world around us tells us to have. So loving the way the Bible teaches to love through difficult times, to not walk away when times get hard, to stay faithful to vows, to love and to respect one another is a different way of loving than the world around us may talk about loving. And so train the younger women, to love their husbands as God has called them to love their husbands. Train the young women to love their children because the world around you, you may not naturally at times feel like discipline is the loving thing to do and yet discipline is sometimes necessary if you're going to train someone up, is, is often necessary to train someone up and that doesn't feel loving at some times. So train the young women to love their children the way God would have you to love them. It takes training, and it takes an older woman to train the younger women to do this. Train it to love our children. I go back to what I said about older men, about cheering on the things that, and celebrating the things that you want to see. I think about when our children come up on the stage, and Avon Duncan comes up, and he is so excited about JBQ. And he's so excited about junior Bible quiz and what they do. We're not cheering them on because of first place or second place or third place. We're celebrating them accomplishing something that is worth accomplishing, which is hiding the word of God in their hearts. What do you celebrate? That's train them to love their children. Train them to celebrate the things that are worth celebrating. Train them to bring attention to those things that are important. To be self-controlled in all four categories, older men, younger men, older women, younger women, there's all different principles. The only one that's common to all four is self-control. All four categories, Paul said, this is important, to be self-controlled. Because they were living in a culture 
that did not have control, that lacked control, that was, that was hedonistic and goes after its own desires, and so are we. And so train them, older men, older women, to be self-controlled, to love their husbands, to be pure in mind and thought, working at home, Working at home, the only thing I'll say about this is we must be careful not to impose our modern debates on the historical passage. I think we have to be careful. I don't know that Paul necessarily had in mind whether someone was going to go out in a job or work at home, but what he was very clearly saying was there must be a priority on the care and taking care of the family that this could not be lost or forfeited, that you can never and should never, man or woman, give up your responsibility from God to care for and raise up and invest in your family for the sake of career or monetary pursuits, that there must be a priority there, and older women should teach the younger women how to do that. We often hold up the Proverbs 31 woman. I'll remind you that in Proverbs 31, she also goes into the marketplace and buys and sells fabric. We must be careful not to impose our modern debates on the ancient text. I have seen, and to, be, to go into the more modern things, I have seen in the modern world at times, I've seen just as many women who will say they stay home with their kids, forsake their families, as those that go into the workplace and may do the same. Spend more time in the gym and at Pilates than they do raising their kids. And that's not a slight against that. It's a slight, it's the point is it's a priority aspect that you can never, whether you are at home, whether you are working, whether you are man or woman, forsake the responsibility that God has given you and that you have taken on in a marriage and with children. It's an important case. Submissive to our own husbands, we could do a whole sermon on that. In fact, I have. If you go back in our sermons, I think I spent an hour-long sermon on that wording at one point. But I'll just point out this morning that it is submissive to their own husbands, not submissive to all men. Here, there's an important distinction that a wife has in the household. I was on this, on this um, aspect there was a, um, I was reading this week, Andy Stanley, Pastor Andy Stanley, I thought had a good quote on this. When he was asked about this, uh, he was asked when he was younger, two women had said, uh, talked to him, they were ta- having a conversation with him, they were at a party, and they said, Andy, I heard a preacher say that a man had to be the head of the home because a two-headed home is like a two-headed monster, is that what you believe, that the man is the head? How would you answer that? Here's how Andy answered it. Pastor Stanley, Pastor Andy Stanley said, Before I answer your question, imagine you're married to a man who genuinely believes you are the most fantastic person on the planet. He's crazy about you. You have no doubt that your happiness is his top priority. He listens when you talk. He honors you in public. To use an old-fashioned term, he cherishes you. He's not afraid to make a decision. He values your opinions. He leads, but he listens. He's responsible. He's not argumentative. You have no doubt that he would give his life for you if the need arose. You never have to worry about him being unfaithful. In fact, to quote an old song, he only has eyes for you. 
He said, would you have trouble following a man like that? And the girl blurted out, I am waiting and trying to find a man. Well, I want to meet a man like that. See, there's a difference because anyone who has your best interest in mind has an effect submitted to you, and there's a mutual submission that goes on in the marriage relationship. Self-control and submission are not popular words in our world and our culture, but I would argue when they are lived out well that they are not only godly but attractive to the world and the culture around us. Younger men... Younger men, the principle that Paul gives to young men is a short one and a simple one. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. As we were preparing the, this message, we put a little graph together of all the things he says to older men and older women and younger women. And then we get to younger men. It's just this one thing. And then we all kind of looked at each other around the table and said, yeah, that's about right. If you could get this down, but it's almost like Paul saying, young men, if you could just get this down, your life would be so much better. <laughs> and how much does this speak to you? If you would just be self-controlled in every area of your life, if you would be self-controlled in the areas of money and sex, if you would be self-controlled in the areas of relationship and your thought life, if you can get this down, young men, how much more would your life be in line with the God who has called you? So young men, be self-controlled is the instruction that Paul gives to us. Principles. He gives to everybody, young men, old men, young women, old women. Purpose for it, though. The purpose is this, verse 8, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that... An opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. In other words, when you live your life this way, Paul's saying to Titus, if you will get the old men and the older women, if you will get the young men and the younger women to live this way, they will be living in such a way that the people around them cannot bring accusations against them. If they are living lives of integrity and dignity and self-control, then even though the people around them do not agree with them, they have different values than them, they will not be able to say words against them. And so he's saying the lives that they lived will not bring shame on the name of God, but will conversely bring honor and glory to God. Because what Paul knows was true then is still true today, that too often the message of Jesus is lost because of the lives of the messengers of Jesus. That too often Christ is not even heard because Christ's followers are turned turn off to the people who need to listen. And so Paul says, if you will live your life in this way, then the people around you, though they may not agree with you, you will have a voice for them to listen to you. As a great example of this, I found this story this past week of a Chinese village. Chinese village... Uh, that allowed evangelism to bring social order, if you can believe this. Think of communist China, especially in the 1990s. Listen to this story from Open Doors Ministry, a ministry that uh, is, uh, helps those in the persecuted church. Chinese government officials became so fed up with the sky-high rates of crime, drug addiction, and sickness 
in the county of Lankan Lahu, Yunnan province, that in the mid-1990s, they turned for help to the only model citizens in the area, the Christians, Chinese government. We had to admit that the Lahu people were a dead loss because of their addiction to opium, confessed an official who did not want to be named. Their addiction made them weak and sick. They would go to one of their priests who required animal sacrifices of such extravagance that the people became poor. And because they were so poor, they stole from each other, and law and order deteriorated. It was a vicious cycle that no amount of government propaganda could break. We noticed, however, that some in villages in the county, the Lahu, were prosperous and peace-loving. There was no drug problem or any stealing or social order problems, self-control. Households had plentiful, a plentiful supply of pigs, oxen, and chicken. So we commissioned a survey to find out why these villagers were different. To our astonishment and embarrassment, we discovered the key factor was that these villages had a majority of Christians. Officials launched a daring experiment in 1998 the likes of which would have been unthinkable in China 10 years previous. They sponsored Christians to go into troublesome villages and share their faith. They started by picking out the worst village, which had 240 people, 107 of which were hopelessly addicted to opium. Christian Lahus were bussed into the village at government expense, and get this, the villagers were herded together by the police and made to listen to the testimonies of Christians. You didn't hear that on the news, did you? Years later, there were 17 converts in the village, and they began to grow rich because they stopped spending money on drugs. Eight of the 17 converts even had enough to own sewing machines and start small businesses. By early 2002, 83 of the villagers were Christians, and the prosperity had spread. The government officials said, we are delighted with the results and have been extending the tactic to many other villages since then. Almost unheard of. I even said at the end of these illustration, it says this has been verified by two different sources because it's almost an unbelievable story for this to take place. But I think it goes right along with Titus chapter 2. They noticed Lives of self-control, lives lived according to God's plan. And they said, we want our people to live like that. They have answers that our government propaganda and our government uh, tactics are not able to bring about. And the gospel lived out in the lives of Christians turns out to be the most powerful testimony for Christ and for his story and glory purpose but there's a one last thing and that's a posture there's principles to be lived out there's a purpose for it but there's a posture that needs to be present all of these principles and purpose break down if the right posture is not placed and the posture is that they are to teach what is good and so train and I think this speaks to both men and women, that the older men are to teach and to train the younger men. That the older women are to teach and to train the younger women. 
that a posture needs to be in place that the older has a posture of teaching and giving, that the younger has a posture of learning and receiving. Because maybe you're sitting here and wondering, where's the class? Where's the class for mentoring? Because I want to sign up for that. I think maybe you're an older person. who says, I think I have a lot to offer, and I'd like to go to that class and teach the younger people. Or maybe you're a younger person and said, I've got a lot to learn. I'd love to sit under an older person and learn. Where's the class for this? The truth is that we often try and systematize what was meant to be the natural function and arrangement of the church. In order for it to happen, though, everyone has to have the right posture because we try and put it in classes. We try and do it. Do you want to, we try and connect people. I want a mentor. I want to be a mentor. And we can try and connect people. But the truth is when the church is acting like the church as God designed it to be, that these things will naturally happen. That these things, when you come in as a younger person, that you'll find older people who are looking forward to pouring in and to learning. But you've got to sit and listen. You've got to come with your posture of learning. And the older person who has wisdom and years and to offer may be willing, may, may have things to offer, but you have to be willing to give them. See, if any part of the system breaks down, it doesn't work. If the older people come in and they're willing to teach, but the younger people say, you know what, you don't have anything to offer, the system breaks down and it doesn't work. It doesn't work the way God designed it to work. If the younger people come in and they say, we want to learn, we're ready to go, and the older people say, you know what, I'm really focused on retirement and getting my golf game in shape now, and they're not willing to teach, it breaks down. And not only is this godly life not passed on, but the church and the long-term benefit of the kingdom suffers because of it. Because this is the way that God has designed the church to work. We need to be, have the posture of giving and receiving to share what we have learned and to learn from what others have learned. So older people, the truth is we all need the other generation more than we think we do. We all need the other generation more than we think we do. Older people invest in younger people. Your job is not to know everything. It's not to fill their cup completely. But it is to empty your cup of whatever you know, whatever you've learned, to pass that on to those who are younger. Younger people listen to older people. Old, and I've been using this throughout this message, and maybe you cringe a little bit, but, it, but the reason is, first, because Paul uses it, second, because it should not be an insult. It should not be an insult. One commentator put it this way, our culture is obsessed with youth and personal freedom. In our culture, old people are irrelevant. Aged parents are considered a problem that needs to be solved. If you call someone old or old man, you're being negative. This is not normal. This is not how it has been in the past. And it's not how it is, quite honestly, in other cultures often around the world. And many of you that come from other cultures know that because you come to the United States and you're shocked of how younger people treat older people. And it's not how it should be. 
One of the things Paul is doing in this book for Titus, in this letter to Titus, is saying, look, there are things going on in the culture of Crete that should not be brought into the family of God. And I would say there are things the same way in the culture of America today that should not be brought into the family of God. And this view towards older people is one of those things. This negative view towards older people and the older generation, and they don't have anything to offer, and let's just find a place to to keep them so we don't have to think about them and don't have to worry about them, is not a view that ought to be brought into the family of God. As Paul says, we need the older generation to teach the younger generation because what Paul knew is the church is going to suffer if we don't have that because we're going to keep making the same mistakes over and over again. If you're older, look for younger people to invest in. If you're younger, look for older people to invest in you. If you're in the middle, do both. Because Titus was in the middle, right? Titus needed a Paul who was pouring into him and telling him how to live, but then Paul was telling him, now you have to go and teach others. If you're in the middle, do both. Find someone to invest in you. Find someone to invest in. If these postures are not in place, then the church does not work as God has intended it to work. For you who are older, you say, well, how does this happen? How does this happen? For you who are older, the younger generation that wants to learn is a gift to carry on the things that the Lord has given you so they can take the gospel even further than you took it. Jesus at one point said to his followers, you will do even greater things than these. And that should be the posture of every older person. I want to give to you what I have learned so that you can do even greater things. So that greater things for the kingdom can be done through you. So my advice to older people, be open to things being done differently. That there may be more than one, thing to do, one way to do things and still get things done. Remember, this is a lesson that we had to, I had to learn early on in our marriage, and many married people do. Wendy and I have very different ways of doing things. She finally learned how to fold clothes right, but that's, <laughs> that's not true. We just do it differently, right? And it's true in the church. And I, my advice to older people, you know, just because something's done differently, be careful about complaining and criticizing. Encourage, because it's hard to sit and listen and learn from someone who complains and criticizes you. My advice to older people is be encouraged because you'll gain an audience. But my advice to younger people, younger people, older people are a gift to you. You don't have to make the same mistakes. They may not know how to reset your iPad, but they may know a thing or two about living a life that's pure about battling temptation, about staying true to God for the long haul. They've seen things and have seen the faithfulness of God through the years, and they can help you be faithful through your years. You have a responsibility to have a posture of learning. What does it look like? It looks like listening. It looks like taking time to listen. It looks like when you're listening to them not finishing their sentence, because they'll probably finish it different than you will. It looks like not being in such a rush, but sitting down and listening. I close with this story from 
Pastor uh, Kevin Miller. He says this, Kevin Miller says, When I was a kid, Saturday mornings were a chore day. Often my dad would say, Come on, kid. And I'd hop in the station wagon and we would drive down the street to Hooper Wolf's hardware store. Hooper Wolf's had an old wood door painted white, except where the paint was torn off near the handle. You walked in and you could hardly move. There were two narrow aisles, the counters were filled with merchandise, shelves were overflowing, and stuff was hanging from the ceiling. You'd think, no way am I going to find anything in here. But you didn't need to. As soon as you walked in, Clarence behind the counter would say, help you today? My dad would say something like, I want to hang a light out back. Clarence would come out from behind the counter and ask questions. Where are you going to hang it? Over the patio? Well then. And he would start rummaging through shelves until he pulled out just the right light. You want a light like this. And don't use these bolts here. They're good for indoor stuff, but for outdoor, you want something galvanized. Your wall is brick, isn't it? Clarence asked. Even though our town was small, I was impressed he knew that our, what our house was made of. Well, to run the conduit through there, you want a masonry drill bit at least three quarters of an inch. If we don't have it in stock, you can get one at Miller's Lumber Yard. Then Clarence would pull a flat carpenter's pencil off his ear and get out a little piece of paper and sketch it all out. The conduit goes here and make sure you don't mount the light too close to the soffit. Today, when I have a project on Saturday, I head to Home Depot. Unlike Hooper Wolf's, where you had to parallel park on the street, there's an ocean of parking. And inside, Home Depot is huge. The ceilings are 30 feet high. It has 40 times the inventory of Hooper Wolf's. It all looks great under bright argon lights. There's a guy in an orange apron a block away. If you run him down, he's likely to say, sorry, I usually work in paints. I'm just covering electrical. Because someone called in sick. So you're pretty much on your own. A similar thing has happened in the American church. We have programs that are amazing. Disney-level quality and technological sophistication, but something's missing. Clarence. We all need a Clarence, someone who knows more than we do and who will guide us to grow in Christ. Throughout the Bible, this is the primary way faith has been passed on. Moses trains Joshua in how to lead. Eli trains Samuel in how to pray. Jesus teaches the apostles. Timothy's grandmother, Lois, trains up her daughter, Eunice, who trains up her son, Timothy. Paul calls Titus his son in the faith. When it comes to helping people grow into spiritual maturity, the Bible gives us the Clarence principle. The older teach the younger, and those more mature in the faith guide those who are newer to the faith. Where have all the experts gone? The hardware store, in the church, where have the experts gone? See, the unique thing about the way that God has set up the local church is not just that you have people, older people, that know something about something. But you have people who know something about something and know you. So they know your house. 
And they know what you need because they've seen you grow and they've seen you come to church and they've seen you and they've seen you worship. And so you get into a church where people know you and know something about something about following God. And then you have the principle of how God created his church to grow and to work. So I'm going to ask our worship team to come back and as we consider this, older people, you've got a job to do. Younger people, you've got a job to do. How do you do it? How does it happen? There's simple, practical ways. Show up early for church. Don't show up at 10.15. Show up at 9.15. Show up at 9 o'clock. Young people, you want to hear people, you want to grow in your faith, then show up at 9 o'clock and go down the hall and listen to Sade Follier and other people in that room pray. And listen to them pray for you and pray for the request and learn how to pray and to talk to the Lord. Show up early. Get around people because it doesn't happen if you don't have time with people. Show up early. Hang out. Grab a cup of coffee and sit around the cafe with that group of men that are sitting around a cafe every Sunday morning before church and ask them some questions about God. These elders you see up here praying for you on Sunday mornings, don't just ask them to pray for you. Catch them after service and ask them about following God in their life because they want to pour into you. Meet someone in church. Look around about someone that is further along than you and say, you know what? I want to take you to lunch on a future Sunday. Let's go to lunch, and I just want to talk with you. I want to learn from you. Hang around a little longer. Show up on a Saturday morning, guys. Men, young men, show up on a Saturday morning at 6 o'clock and sit in one of these chairs in this circle here and listen to Sam Ophiadu open up the Word of God and Edgar Bartlett pray to God and learn how to pray and learn how to apply the Word of God to your life. Go to a community group that doesn't look entirely like you and learn from other people around you. Show up. Spend time. Listen, learn. This is how the community and how the church of God is meant to operate. We're going to spend some time just responding to God's word today. I am going to ask our elders to come forward and they are going to be available to pray for you and with you. And I want to ask you to pray this morning. Who are you investing in, older person? Who are you learning from, younger person? And if you are in the middle, who do you have to learn from and who do you have to teach? Maybe you say, well, I, don't, I don't have much to offer. You're not called to fill someone's cup. You're called to empty your cup into someone else. Here's what I've learned about prayer. Here's what I've learned about following God. Here's some mistakes I've made that you can avoid. Listen, lend an ear. Walk with people. Because this is the way that we grow and this is the way that church is designed to work. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that now your Holy Spirit would just do the work that only your spirit can do and that is work in the hearts of every man and every woman that's here. Teach us how to respond to your word this morning. Whether we need to find others to teach and be less selfish about the knowledge we have or Lord, just recognize that you have given us knowledge.
Or maybe we need to have a posture of learning and humbly approach others who have gone before us. Lord, speak to us. Lead us as we respond to your word today. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a couple songs of worship. I'm going to ask you to stand as we do. If you've got a request you want someone to pray for you with, you can come to either side of the stage. There's couples here who will pray with you. If you want to just come pray on your own, this altar is open. You can come and kneel and spend time with God. And maybe you've got to come and kneel and just say, God, I need someone to pour into me. And you might come and kneel at this altar and ask God to reveal that to you. Or God, I, I know you for calling me to teach someone and to, to pour myself into someone. Lord, would you reveal that person to me? You can come and spend time with God and pray as we sing. Let's worship the Lord.